Father, I needed to hear that today. And I'm sure um, I'm not the only one who takes comfort in knowing that you've gone before us. You've gone before us this morning. You've gone before us into whatever lies ahead for 2021. And God, that you're for us. Regardless of our current circumstances or whatever we, we face coming up this year, God, we, you're for us. And what you do in, in, in this life is, is for our good and for your glory. Regardless of, of what it appears like, the circumstances we walk through for good or for bad, you use them to mold us and to shape us into the image of your son, Jesus. And we are so thankful. So God, thank you for allowing us to gather together. Thank you for ministering to our hearts through your word, through song this morning. And God, I pray that our voices were a blessing to you today. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Guys, you can take a seat. Thank you. My name is Eric. I'm one of the pastors here at, at FBC. And if, as you take your seats, if you want to turn your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11, uh, you can do that. I don't have um, I don't have notes for you. Sorry. And uh, there, you're going to need to follow along this morning in, in your own Bible or on your device or whatever, uh, because I again got the message last night about six o'clock that I'm going to be here and uh, preaching this morning. But I've had many conversations with Phil over the last couple of years that said, "Hey, if you know anything happens and and you need someone to speak on a Sunday morning." I'm willing to do that. And you just call and ask, and uh, he called my bluff <laughs> by falling out of a tree. And uh, I only joke about that because I, I talked to Phil last night and know he's okay. He is in, he's in pain, um, but doing well. And uh, it's, it's nothing short of a miracle that he fell 14 feet and has no broken bones. CT scan was, was clean, and so we praise the Lord for that. And, and we're anxious to have him back with us. But I'm thankful to be here with you this morning and, and happy to open God's word with you. And that song is actually a, a very appropriate lead-in for our message today. And that's really our desire for you as a, as a pastoral staff, as a leadership team for this coming year. We, we want you to experience the fullness of God's blessing. And I think all of us want that, Right? We want, want to experience God's blessing. And the problem is that the vehicle that God often uses to bring us God's blessing is not what we want sometimes, right? Um, I want a Bentley. <laughs> and sometimes it comes in the form of like a broken down 1993 Saturn Ion instead of that Bentley, Right? We have all, we have these we have these these grand visions of what our year's going to look like and and how God's going to move through us and has we have all these goals and probably some resolutions that that you've set and but the truth is we we have no idea what's coming down the pipeline right we didn't have any idea what was coming this morning but it's a blessing still we want the blessings of peace and and comfort, and wealth, and health, but God often sends us the blessings of meekness, and humility, and contentment, and weakness. And sometimes that's a really, really hard pill to swallow. 
And uh, it's interesting, we came off of, just coming off the Christmas season, and and that's kind of what the first Christmas was like, right? For for hundreds of years, it's been prophesied that the Messiah was going to come, and and people expected him to come to Jerusalem as as a king, a conquering king, right? But instead, he comes to Bethlehem, and not even into a palace, into a tumble down stable, laying in a manger in a food trough built for animals. The blessings often don't come as we expect them to come. And in 2021, that may be the, the exact thing that happens to us. And right now, we have an opportunity to say, okay, even if they come like that, do we still believe God works all things for the good of those who are called according to his purposes? I'll be honest, the last 24 hours has been kind of hard to believe that. Um, as, as Matt talked about, the Johnson family losing their home. Uh, God, guys, they are such a blessing to this church. I hope you guys know that. Some of you might not even know who the Johnsons are, but their faith is so strong. And I, Matt went over there last night to talk to them after the fire, and, and Hugh just said, you know, it's just stuff. It's just stuff. But they're facing a lot of uncertainty today. And Phil, um, God spared his life, spared his body, but he's facing some uncertainty this morning as well. And as we walk into 2021, it's kind of a microcosm for our entire church body. I don't know what to expect. And I'll be honest with you, I'm a little apprehensive, a little bit nervous about what 2021 is going to look like. And I'm sure some of you are as well. And so what we're going to look at today is how we can face a year of uncertainty with confidence and run faithfully in that uncertainty. And and I want to start by saying this. We are facing a new year, but we have the same God. He has not, and he will not change. And even though we are uncertain, God is not. He didn't wake up this morning surprised by what was happening. He knows what's going on in your life. He knows what's going on in my life. He knows what's going on in our country. He knows. In fact, he knew the exact challenges we would be facing this morning. I have to tell you this story. Um, Last night, I was shoveling my driveway at about 6 o'clock when I got the call about Phil, and I was asked to fill in. And so uh, I didn't finish shoveling my driveway. I'll do that this afternoon, I promise, okay? But I got in my truck and I drove here to church because this is where all my, my study things are, my, my computer. And so I was driving to church and I'll be honest with you, I was having some moments of freaking out. And in between freaking out, I was praying fervently but had no idea what to pray for. And so praying and freaking out, praying and freaking out as I drive. And uh, I, I had the radio turned to WFRN and the song that came on is uh, a song by Jeremy Camp. It's the song, Same Power. <laughs> And the, the, na- the, the verse of the song says, the same power that rose Jesus from the grave, the same power that commands the dead to wake lives in us. The same power that moves mountains when he speaks, the same power that can calm a raging sea lives in us. And that song is taken right out of scripture, right out of Romans 8, 11. It says, the spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same spirit living within you. 
And as I listened, I, I, this, this overwhelming sense of peace came over me, knowing that that same power lives in me. And if God wanted to, he could have put a rock up here and it could have spoken God's word to you. And a rock doesn't even have a mouth. In fact, he used a donkey one time. I have a few more brain cells than a donkey. But the, the truth is that, that God's spirit lives inside of me. And so as we walk, there's nothing we need to fear. He knows exactly what I needed. And he's not worried. But he also wasn't done showing me that truth. And so after that song, a little segment came out on the radio. You know how they have like a, a verse of the day sometimes. And the verse of the day was, again, Romans chapter 8. And it says, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Boy, did I need that. For we do not know what to pray as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And I'm not an emotional person, but last night driving my truck, I, I began to weep a little bit, knowing that, that, that God knew where I was at. But he wasn't done. And so after that little segment, a song I had never heard before came on. It was called Beautiful Story by Mia Fields. And the bridge of that song is this. It says, you work all things together for good, all things together for good like you said you would. I'm sure you recognize that verse. It comes again out of Romans 8, the very next verse, verse 28. and says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for the good of those who are called according to his purpose. So in a 10-minute car ride, I got a sermon on Romans chapter 8. And I'm not, I'm not trying to be mystical or anything like that, far from it. What I'm saying is that the word of God says, and his creation even shouts it, that he knows. He knows where you're at. He knows what you're facing. He even knows the things you don't know about yet. And he's for you. And he will be for you in this coming year. What I want to look at today is how do we run in that confidence? How do we run into 2021 and how do we run into uncertainty knowing that God is for us? And Paul states it at the end of Romans 8. He says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other thing in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. 2021 won't be able to either. I want that confidence. And I hope you do too. And I believe a great place to start our year together is by looking at some of the people in scripture who had that confidence and then learn how they had it. Does this sound good? Okay, good. One person. <laughs> I'm apprehensive too. It's all right. It's, it's snowy outside. It screws us all up. All right, so we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 11. And as many of you are aware, Hebrews chapter 11, uh, we kind of call the great hall of faith, right? Because it's just story after story of these, these mere men and women who 
who aren't anything special, but because of their faith, God did incredible things in their midst. And sometimes we, we look at we look at Hebrews chapter 11 and, and we kind of have this wrong perspective because we think these are these just giants of the faith and in some aspects they are, but the truth is they're, they're men and women just like us with a great, great God. And I, I have to imagine, I, I, I have a kind of weird imagination, but I have to imagine that if I walk into heaven, when the day I get to walk into heaven and I, I come up to Abraham or Isaac or any of these guys listed, I go, you're Abraham. You're, you're Isaac. And I start to like geek out a little bit and, and they're like, are you, you're talking to me? I, I'm nothing. I, Jesus, Jesus is over there, right? And so we, we look at this and we, we see these heroes of the faith, but, and that's true. But what else is true is that Hebrews 11 is filled with people that had no idea what was going to happen next. They had no idea. Yet they walked by faith anyway. Look at verse 13 of Hebrews chapter 11. This is halfway through the chapter and it says, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on this earth. See, they had these promises, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, they all had these promises like we have in Romans 8, 28. But they, they had no idea what the blessing of God would actually look like or what vehicle it would come on. They didn't know if it was gonna be a Bentley or a 1993 Saturn Ion. But they walked into it. They walked into that uncertainty, not really knowing. Think about it. Every single one of them faced uncertainty, okay? Think about Noah, okay? Noah got into a giant boat because God told him he was going to flood the earth. And so he told him to build this boat, right? There's a good chance Noah had no idea what rain was. So how would he prepare for a flood? He had no idea. But he walked in faith and did as, as God asked him. Abraham left his home to follow a God he had never heard of to a land he had never seen and didn't know how to get to. Isaac trusted God and trusted his father enough to let him lay him down on an altar and come within seconds of making him a human sacrifice. Moses led God's people to a place he didn't know how to find without any prior leadership experience. Rahab was a prostitute with no former religious background. She hid the spies because she believed God, but she had no idea what the future held for her. And that's just scratching the surface. And here's what we need to understand when we read Hebrews 11, is that having great faith does not mean you will never face uncertainty. In fact, it guarantees it. You will face uncertainty. In fact, the definition for faith given at Hebrews 11.1 1 says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. We will face uncertainty. So then if we will face uncertainty, how then do we run faithfully? If we don't know what's ahead of us, if we don't know what the next year holds or, or what our life holds for us, how do we run faithfully? 
And I believe the next verses in Hebrews chapter 12 give us the answer. So turn over there to a couple pages or just on the next page to Hebrews chapter 12. And let's read that together. The first two verses says this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, talking about Hebrews chapter 11, let us also lay aside every weight in sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. I wanna start breaking this down because it says, let us also, just like the people in Hebrews chapter 11 did, let us also do these things. And what I believe the author does here is he gives us four keys to running faithfully in uncertainty. Four keys to running faithfully in uncertainty. And the first key is this, throw off weight. It says, let us also lay aside every weight in sin which clings so closely. And now hear me, the, the writer of Hebrews is probably not giving you uh, dieting as your New Year's resolution, okay? That's not the weight he's talking about, though I guess maybe he could be. Weight here is also described as an encumbrance, okay? Something that holds you down or, or holds you back. It's, it's not something in and of itself that's necessarily a bad thing but something that at least takes up enough of your mental attention and, and, and affections that it distracts you from what is really best. I don't run. You probably can look at me and tell that I don't run. Um, and most likely, I will not take up running in the future unless it's after a ball or a donut. But when I was younger, I actually ran track and field in middle school and high school. And uh, I was a sprinter, and I did long jump and high jump and actually pole vaulting, which was pretty fun. And there were, there were actually many things I hated about track, mainly the running. Uh, but what I really, really, really hated about track was the outfit that I had to wear, okay? And now this was, this was back several years ago, and uh, we had to wear those like skin-tight shirts, like tank tops. And then the tiniest little shorts. I cannot believe I was allowed to wear shorts that small, okay? And no, this is, no one should like those, okay? Adam, nobody, okay? Nobody should like how short those shorts were. But I understood why they had me wear them, right? Because the, the less clothing or the tighter clothing you have, the less drag you have and the less drag you have, the faster you go. And when I was in ninth grade, I had a decision to make because I knew, I said, okay, if I want to be a great runner, and if that means I have to wear this, then I guess I'm never going to be a great runner because I have no intention of ever wearing that again, right? We do the same thing in our Christian lives, okay? A key to the Christian life is sacrifice, there are things we have to give up. There are things that God calls us to give up that, that aren't necessarily sinful, but they're distractions, they're weights. And sometimes we have this, we may not say it out loud, but we have this discussion in our head and we say, if, if being a, a good Christian and running faithfully means I have to give up this, 
well, then I guess I'm just going to walk in mediocrity for the rest of my life. And we don't say that out loud, but we mean it sometimes. And there, there's things that come along that where we're just not willing to give up. They're, they're weights and we cling to them and we want to keep them. But the, the witnesses in, in Hebrews chapter 11 and those who have run faithfully before us said, I'm throwing these off, these things that aren't necessarily bad to chase what is ultimately good. We throw the weights off. D.L. Moody is credited with this quote. He says, the world has yet to see what God can do with a man fully consecrated or committed to him. By God's help, I aim to be that man. If we're going to be fully committed, if we're going to walk or run faithfully in uncertainty, this year we're going to have to give some things up. We're going to have to let them drop. And maybe it's a hobby. It might be a job. It might be more money. It might be a relationship. It might be a habit. It might even be something that you love. But we give these things up knowing that we chased the one thing that matters most, and that's Jesus himself. So we throw off weight. That's the first key. Second key is this, throw off sin. It's found in that same verse. It says, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Here the author describes something else that easily drags us down and keeps us from running faithfully in our pursuit of Jesus. And that something else is sin. And now this is pretty obvious, but we need reminders. You can't practice sin and follow Jesus faithfully at the same time. The two can't coexist. One enslaves you and the other sets you free. Sin enslaves us and drags us down while Jesus wants to give us life and life to the full. We can't have them both at the same time. And while it seems like a pretty general command to throw off sin in general, it's, it's more probable that the author had a specific sin in mind here. And in, in this text, in the previous chapter, that, that hall of faith, the, the phrase by faith is used 21 times telling us that the key to endurance is faith. And the enemy of faith and the sin that keeps us from it is unbelief. It was unbelief that, that kept the Israelites from entering the promised land. They didn't believe that, that God could do what he said he was going to do because there were giants in the land and they couldn't over, overthrow these cities. And so they, they failed to enter the promised land and had to wander around for 40 years. Unbelief is the same thing at times that keeps us from experiencing the true blessing of God. Because we, we, while we say in, with our words and even believe in our minds that God is good and that God is faithful, the hardest journey from us is actually the 12 inches between our head and our hearts. Where we know it intellectually, we know God is good, we know that God has a plan for us and, and wants to bless us through obedience but in our hearts, we don't want to step out in faith and act on that truth. And so our sin, and the sin I believe that the author is talking about in Hebrews, is unbelief. And Jesus confronts our sin of unbelief at every turn. 
And at the beginning of 2021, it's no different. He's asking, do you believe that Jesus is Lord and do you believe that he is good? And will you trust him? Then act upon it. I love the response of the man in in Mark 9 as he brings his son to Jesus and his son is possessed by a demon and he asks Jesus, he says, he says, God, Jesus, if you can, will, will you help him? And Jesus responds to him and he says, if, if I can, anything is possible for those who believe. And I love the response of the father because this is where I find myself all the time is, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Because we, we have to live in this tension, right? Where we do believe. We intellectually, we believe it. We've read through scripture. We've studied it. We've heard it over and over and over again. But we need help believing it in our soul, in our hearts, and actually t- transferring that to action. So Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. And that's the posture we need in uncertainty. That's how we throw off the sin of unbelief, the sin that entangles by stating our belief and also acknowledging our desperate and constant need for more faith, the faith that only Jesus Christ can offer us. We throw off sin and we throw off weight. And then the author gives us the third key. He says, run, run. It says, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And the word run there is a command to action because Christians are not supposed to be stagnant. They're not supposed to stand still. They're supposed to work. And now hear me, not work for your salvation, not try to earn it, but work because of your salvation. You're supposed to be a person of action. If your faith is only present on Sunday mornings, you're missing out. You're missing out on the blessing of, of what is a Christian life. Excuse me. you're missing out on on God's richest blessings for your life. So run. The author here uses two phrases to help us interpret the running we're supposed to do. First, he says, run with endurance. The Christian life is not a sprint. It's a marathon. Like I stated before, I ran track in middle school and the beginning of high school, and I was a sprinter. Um, this is a dorky Lord of the Rings reference. You know how Gimli, the dwarf, he says um, that, that dwarfs are natural sprinters and they're useless over the long haul. That's me, okay? I'm, I'm too thick to run long distance. I'm use, useless in cross country. And I was a sprinter. And so I ran the 100 and 200 meter dash in except for one day in eighth grade. We were in a conference championship, and I had already done all my field events and my sprint work. But one of our, our runners who run the eight, ran the 800-meter race got hurt. And so my coach, Coach Lee, said, Shelner, you're in. And he was a ginormous man. Uh, and so I didn't argue with him. I go, okay, let's run. Now, again, I had never run longer than 200 meters in my entire life, Okay. And so I get in the starting block and I did what any good sprinter would do. I set off at the fastest pace I could possibly manage. And I'm running and I'm like, these guys are chumps. And they're like 
50 feet behind me. I go, this is easy. Why didn't I do this before? And I passed that 200 meter mark and got to about 300 meters. And I'm not exaggerating. My entire body said, no, and like cramped up. And I'm like, oh boy. And I literally, I cross the finish line, the first lap, mind you. I'm like, oh boy. And I just kept running and I, I, like, I like waddled and, and limped to like off to the side where the grass was. And I just kind of went like this. And my coach goes, Shelner, you have another lap? And I go, no, I don't. <laughs> and I laid down in the grass and died. Because I did not prepare for the distance. I couldn't finish the race. And the same thing happens in our lives as we think a lot of us, we start off our Christian lives. If you're like me, I got, I got saved and I was on fire. I was ready. I was passionate. I was engaged. I wanted to take the world for Jesus Christ. And I started off on a sprint. And then I hit that 300 meter mark and things started to slow down because I wasn't prepared for the distance. I hadn't, I hadn't learned what it takes to persevere and have endurance in this race that we're called to run. It's how many people fizzle out. And the reason is the same, we fail to prepare properly for the length of the race. Being faithful in uncertainty requires endurance. The author goes on to say, run with endurance the race that is set before us. Uh, one of my friends, Rob Cutting, I'm sure many of you know him, is a runner. And he and Bruce Faltinsky went out this weekend and they ran a 21K at Notre Dame. That part is psychotic. I don't know why they did that. But he posted a quote after he ran the race and posted some pictures of it. And, and I love this quote. It says, run the mile you're in. Meaning don't focus on the next one or what's going on around you or the other people running or the mile that someone else is in. Run the mile you're in. And this is the thrust behind this phrase, the race that is set before us. We get so distracted running sometimes by what's going on around us or often distracted by how other people are running the race and we compare ourselves to other people. They may be further along. They may be seemingly running faster or, or struggling less or maybe even struggling more. And so you kind of gauge your success by how they're doing in life, right? And it's okay for us to have examples. The writer of Hebrews just gave us an entire chapter full. But if Moses had built an ark like Noah, instead of leading the Israelites to the promised land, he would have been a massive failure. So run the race that is set before you. The gifts are different. Our abilities are different. Our journeys are different. God has called you to run the race set before you, not the race set before me or the race set before anybody else. Run the race set before you. And as you do that, the author gives us this final key. He says, look to Jesus. See, it says, as you run with endurance, this race set, set before you, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. The one commonality in all our races is the goal is the same. And that's, it's not a place, it's a person. 
It's Jesus Christ. We, we run after him. And sometimes I think we, we, we get this wrong. I long for heaven. I want to be there. I can't, I can't wait to wake up without any pain, no more death. I can't wait for those things. But if we long for heaven without Jesus Christ, we're longing for the wrong thing. Heaven is nothing without Jesus. And the hope and the motivation come as we understand this. The hope aspect comes from the phrase, the author and perfecter of our faith. And this is, I want you to understand, this is an incredible phrase, but I've misunderstood it for years. I used to think about Jesus as the author and perfecter of our faith in general, or in a big grand scheme of things, in plural terms. Like, he was the author and perfecter of the Christian faith in general, right? Meaning he's the reason for the Christian faith and the one who makes it true, Both of these things are true, but it's so much more personal than that. He is the author and perfecter of your faith and your faith and your faith and my faith. He's the author, meaning that he's the one that wrote the story. He wrote your story. He started it all. You would have no place in it if it were not for him. He started the race. And he's the perfecter, or literally the one who completes it. So not only did he start the story or or start the race, he completes it for you. He runs it for you. He's the perfecter. And this is really good news because it means he doesn't leave us alone to run it by ourselves. In Philippians 1, 6, it says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He will see us through, friends. And if that isn't good news, I don't know what is. It gives us hope, but it also gives us motivation. Look at the second half of verse two for a second. It says, For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He not only started the race, he'll finish it for you. He's setting the pace. He has run ahead of you. He's suffered just like you. And so as we we think about how to enter 21, we look to Jesus the author and perfecter of of our faith, who has run the race before us and who has finished it perfectly, flawlessly. And we rest in that fact. We rest in his righteousness that, that he runs before us. He's our motivation. He secured the victory and allows us to run in confidence even into uncertainty. And when he says that he's seated at the right hand of the Father, it means the work is done. It is guaranteed. We look at Jesus because his cross is an anchor for our souls. Well, it looks like the agony of defeat when we look, when we look at the cross and we, we, we see our Savior hanging there. It looks like defeat. But in truth, that defeat has secured our victory. And that that defeat of Jesus was actually what makes him greater than any 
other that have gone before him because he didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead, securing our victory over sin and death and hell. And so we look to Jesus as we run. We look. And I can think of no better way to end this message than to start out our new year remembering the cross through communion together. And so if you guys at home who are watching online haven't gotten your elements yet, this is a great time to go and do that because the reason, the why behind we do communion is exactly what we've been talking about this entire time. We do communion, the Lord commands us to do communion because we're forgetful and fickle people, right? We forget about God's goodness to us. We forget that Jesus has run the race before us and we forget to focus on Jesus the Christ. And so communion, what it does is it allows us to kind of recalibrate and refocus on what we're running after, but it also gives us an opportunity to lay aside some of those weights and some of those sins that so easily entangle us. And so as is our custom, as As we begin our time of communion, we're going to give you an opportunity to examine your life. And and I encourage you as you do this today that you look, take a hard look at your life and at your heart, at your soul, and examine if there's any sin, specifically the sin of unbelief that's entangling you. Or maybe there's a weight, something that's not necessarily bad, that's not necessarily good, but it's holding you back from giving all your focus, all your your attention, all your affections to Jesus. Examine those things and then leave them here before you come and join us for communion. So as the band plays, I'm gonna give you an opportunity to examine your hearts and set your eyes once again on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Viva
before Jesus died, he had a meal with his disciples. And uh, he, he talked about what was going to happen the next day. And then it says, after he gave thanks, he took the bread and he said, this is my body that is broken for you. And as often as you take this meal together, do this in remembrance. then he took the cup in the same way and he said this is this is the new covenant which is in my blood that I'm going to shed for you as often as you do this do it in remembrance of me and all the things that we're doing this morning, all the things we do in our life are meaningless because, but because of the cross, because of your son Jesus, because of the empty tomb, our life has purpose, has meaning, has hope, and has joy. And so we give you thanks this morning for sending your son to die in our place, to to take the penalty due us. And in light of that, God, we give you everything in return. It's all yours, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Guys, an, an appropriate response this year to all that Jesus has done for us is to give him everything and to throw off the sin, to throw off the weight that entangles and maybe for the very first time, believe. Truly believe that Jesus is the son of God sent into the world to save us from our sins. And if you need help doing any of that today, come up here and see me. Come up here and see one of our prayer team members. We would love to help you start a new relationship with Jesus Christ or find strength in your relationship with Jesus Christ today. Thank you guys. You are dismissed.